Hello, magical beings, and welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott, and I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to talk just a teeny bit about human design. I have written love notes for each of the five energy types, and they're all on my Instagram. And you can find that I'm at Kelsey Abbott CPC. So there's a love letter to reflectors, one to projectors, one to manifestors, one to generators, one to manifesting generators. Was that all five types? Generators, manifestors, manifesting generators, projectors, and reflectors. Every single energy type is amazing and every type is here to shine and spread its magic in its own unique brilliant super powerful way and it really is my dream that everyone on this planet understands human design not only so they can understand themselves and really truly give themselves permission to be themselves to be the being that their soul chose for them and to celebrate that being, but also so people can understand the design of other people and celebrate them as they live their design, as they step into their flow, as they lean into their gifts and share them. Just imagine how different the world would be if there was no one telling anyone else that anyone was doing life wrong that instead we just celebrated each other for being unique, from being completely different from anything we'd ever seen before. If everything was unique and beautiful and magical as it is. <sighs> just breathe that in for a second. Okay, so all of those love letters you can find on my Instagram account at Kelsey Abbott CPC. If you wanna dive deeper into your human design, you can go to my website, kelseyabbott.com slash human design to book your session. Now, this week, we're talking to Becky Mollenkamp, and she believes women deserve to feel powerful and fulfilled. As a certified business mindset coach, she helps her clients dream and play bigger while also finding contentment in the here and now. There's so much more to Becky's story, and we get into this in this episode, episode 126 of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Enjoy, and please go forth and be awesome. Becky, I'm so excited to meet you, and I really want to hear, I really am excited for you to share your story with my audience because, well, because it's beautiful and because you have so much brilliance from it. But I also, in just talking what I know so far, you have um, a gift that I also have, which is the ability to be super grateful for the total shitstorm. I have not always had that gift, but I am now at a place where I have that gift. So yes, thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah my story, it was not so easy. A decade ago, I would have not said, oh, I'm so grateful for all of the shit that I've been going through. Uh, that's That came eventually. But so my story, although I my story started 30 years before that, the 30 years leading up to 10 years ago when everything changed was me making every decision in my life based on what I thought I was supposed to do, what I should do. And what I would say being a quote unquote good girl would do. Like 
I really fell into all of the patriarchal BS that tells us how we're supposed to show up as women or girls and be a good girl, even though we're now grown ass women. So I did that for a long time. 10 years ago. Wait, hold on. Can oh, you share some examples of that? For sure. At eight years old, I decided I was going to grow up and be a writer. What do you know at eight years old, right? And I know some people very much know what they want to do with their life. But because I said that, I sort of decided that was what I would do. Come hell or high water, whether I liked it or not, I was going to do this thing because I said I would. So like, I was very um, stubborn and just felt like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. But a better example was the first time I got married. I am married again. But the first time I got married, a friend said to me at the time I was getting married, why are you getting married? And my answer was, well, that's what we're supposed to do because we had been together for six years. That's not a good answer if you don't know that. But I, at the time, didn't realize how bad an answer that was. I should have known, and that should have been a real good red flag, but I didn't that's get it. That's so interesting. That's like, why are you taking the cookies out of the oven? Because they're, they're done. They've been in there long enough, but that's not how marriage works. <laughs> Right. It was very matter of fact. Well, this is what two people do when they've been together for six years. Like, yeah. And I could, obviously she knew something that I didn't just by asking that question, question. I think she had an idea that this is probably not a good idea, but I just, I couldn't get there. Cause I was just so used to, this is how you do things. You're supposed to go to school, then you go to college and then you get married and then you were going to have kids and like the whole thing. And I just was going through the motions of life, which sadly I think is what most people do. And some people never stop just going through the motions. We never stop to even question. And that's why I say what happened to me 10 years ago, as bad as all of it was, is a gift. Because it was the thing that finally shook me enough to say, whoa, <laughs> is, is this the life I want? Is this what I'm supposed, is this what I want to be doing? Or is this just what I thought I was supposed to do? Um, and that's, that is a gift. Because not everyone gets that gift. Sometimes people go their whole life without ever saying, stopping and asking themselves, do I really even want this life? Yeah. So what happened? What, walk us through your wake up call. Yeah. So 10 years ago, 2010, uh, in the space of six months, actually less than six months, the first thing was my marriage was starting to kind of fall apart. We were having issues and separated, but still trying to at least go through the motions of working it out. Then my grandmother died. The last of my grandparents was alive and who was really important to me. And then uh, two or three months after that, my brother died of a drug overdose, which was a huge shaky wake up call because we were, it was just him and I um, as siblings. So I lost him. And then because, well, the, my brother dying was the biggest one, <laughs> obviously. And that then was what was sort of like the big wake up call that made me say, I'm out of the marriage. So we went from being shaky to being done. And then because of losing the marriage and that income, I then lost, you know, my dream house that we had built and the BMW I was driving. And, and at that time, also because this was coming on the heels of the 2008 recession, my business that I had built to a six-figure business was already getting a little rocky. And then with everything else happening and me going into a depression that I didn't recognize as such at the time, then meant that I almost lost my business which also then I lost my house because I couldn't afford that by myself without him. And so it was a lot. And it was this very coaching small business? Was that? Was your business a coaching business? No, at that time it was writing because that was what I was supposed you, to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been a writer. I, I worked for newspapers and I worked for magazines. And then I started my own business in 2005 doing freelance writing and then content marketing. And I'd been doing that for five years at that time. And had grown it quite quickly into a really successful business. And then that fell apart because I went into a really bad depression. 
So it was a lot all at once. So then I moved back into my mom's house a couple of years later. And that's when I started to go through the process of healing. Before I could start healing, though, I went through two years of denial and acting like a crazy person and drinking all the time and having you know irresponsible sex and just being really crazy. Um, anything I could do to not have to feel the feelings. So I went through that for a while. But then eventually I got out of that, moved back in with my mom at 36 years old, 37 years old, which is that in, alone, it, that in and of itself is a wake up call. Um, and then that started to help really shake me out of it and start you know, going through the work, doing the work, the hard work of healing and saying, if I don't want this life of shoulds, then what do I want? Because the hardest part of that whole process was realizing I wasn't happy. So even before my brother died, when my marriage was starting to fail, I realized I wasn't happy, but I didn't know why. And I didn't know what I wanted. That's a really hard place to be. It's one thing to say, I'm not happy and I know why, or here's how I could fix it. My life looked great on paper. I mean, we had, we had plenty of money. We could travel whenever we wanted. I could buy what I wanted. We built this beautiful home. He was a nice guy. Everything on paper said my life should be good. And so when you look at everything on paper and it says it should be good and you're still not happy, wow, that's a hard, hard place to be. And so I don't, I would have probably stayed in that for a really long time in that place had it not been for my brother dying and everything else that came out of that, because that was what I really needed to say. Good on paper isn't good enough. Yeah. And also a red flag of saying that your husband's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, not that you'd want to marry someone who's not a nice guy, but anyway, what I really want to ask you is how did you know that you were starting to heal? That's a great question. How did I know I was starting to heal? I was able to function again. <laughs> I guess, you know, I really think it started with being able to think about it, being able to even go there because up until that point, like I truly was distracting myself at all times. I could not be alone with my thoughts. I couldn't be alone. So that was where I was, you know, waking up with people. I didn't really know that well because it was like better there than alone because being alone was just too overwhelming and scary. So when I removed myself from all of that and went to my mom's house where, and you know, back to where I grew up here in St. Louis, where I didn't really know anyone. Um, I'd been gone so long. I was, I had to be alone and I had to face it. And I think where I knew I was starting to heal was when I was able to do that and I could sit in it longer and longer. I could just sit with myself. I could just be with myself. I did a lot of running at that time. I was very much before I had my kid was very much into running. I did a lot of pounding it on the pavement and really being able to sit in it. But when I, and I, I think it's funny, I hadn't thought of this, but I think this might've been a good sign when I was able to start running without music too. Because previously I'd always had to have something in my ears too. Like I couldn't even be in, out running and thinking. And I finally was getting to the point where I didn't want even want the music because I wanted to be in the thoughts and just like exorcise them through exercise, like get them out. Um, so I think that might've actually been a really good sign. Cause I, and I did some blogging at that time about how running helped me with my grief because it really did. It was like leaving it out there, but it wasn't until I was able to disconnect from the distractions and just really sit in it. I'm really impressed with you also for seeing those distractions, for seeing what you were doing. Well, yeah, eventually. <laughs> I mean, we're talking a good two years of not seeing it. And I think everyone else around me did. Grief will, grief and depression and acting out will tell you a lot about friendships because I lost a lot of friendships 
rightfully so. I don't blame them. I was acting horrible in a lot of ways. Um, but there were still some people who stuck with me through that. And those people are my most treasured friends now. But um, yeah, at the time, I certainly couldn't see it. And they would say to me, like, do you think this is, is this okay? Or are you like, are you sure this drinking is not a problem or this acting, you know, whatever it is I was doing, like these things aren't a problem. And I was thinking, well, I'm just having fun. What are you talking about? Look at how much fun I am. I'm the life of the party. I wasn't fun. I was, it was awful. I was just distracting myself, but it, it took me a long time to be able to come out of that and say, it's not okay. And it was really because I lost a good friend because I acted like an asshole to her. And it took that, it took me like losing somebody that I really cared about to say, well, what am I doing here? And that was important because it was, you know, really almost two years of, of just avoiding for me to be able to even start to say, I think I'm avoiding here. And as back to what you said at the beginning, I'm pretty sure we were, we were recording when you were talking about some people never realize that they're following all the shoulds, doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do, being a good girl, good boy. And here you are distracting yourself from yourself, avoiding yourself, which by the way, like props, cause that's hard to do. So like, I'm impressed with your perseverance. But then to wake up, essentially, like I, I'm seeing you like turning on the light, turning on the light and being like, wait, no, I need to be with this. I need yeah. to go put it somewhere. Yeah. And that process, I think, is the powerful process when you can finally stop avoiding sitting with the quiet, sitting with the thoughts, which this, you know, when I work with my clients, that's so many of them have been avoiding the thoughts for so long in whatever way they do it. And when you can finally get to the place of saying, all right, I'm ready to sit with this, which is hard and uncomfortable and ugh, but when you can, everything can change. And that part is so powerful. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hard. Now I've forgotten what you asked me. I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know if I asked you anything and it doesn't matter. Anytime you forget a, something I asked you on this podcast, it doesn't matter because I will likely not have remembered either. <laughs> well, good. Then I'm not alone. So we're moving on to my next question. Was meditation part of that healing as well? It depends on what you mean by meditation. Yeah. If you mean so mindfulness, was. yes. Because I, I work with, with my clients on these things too. And, you know, I am not somebody who does well with ohm and, you know, a, a, a bowl for a gong or whatever. Like I don't do well with traditional what we think of as meditation. But to me, meditation is anything that's mindfulness that's getting you present focused in the here and now and letting go of everything else. And that was what running for me at that time was not so much now because I have a little one and I just don't do it as much, but at that time, and that's what running was. And when I was able to disconnect from the music, which is funny that I hadn't really thought about that until now. Um, but yeah, that was it. That was just one foot in front of the other being fully present, listening to my breath while I'm running and just allowing the thoughts to kind of go with my feet almost, and just go out as I'm moving. Um, you know, now my mindfulness work, my meditation is breath work. I don't do traditional sort of meditation still, but I, throughout the day, take time to just focus on breath and to be fully present. And so that was a huge- Hold on. I'm going to say that that is meditation. 
I think so too. I just know that some people, when you say meditation, I think it's what turns people off is they think it means that they have to sit on a cushion with their legs crossed in some uncomfortable way and, you know, sit there and say ohm over and over for 10, 20 minutes or longer. And that they're failing if they're not able to release all thoughts. Like that's, I have people come to me all the time. That's, that's what they, they're thinking. I'm like, yeah. no, meditation is just about being present focused. Yeah. looks like for you. Yeah. So, and we can't actually turn those thoughts off. Yeah. It's yeah. about seeing them and not, I describe them as cars driving by. And it's about not running after the car and trying to grab the door handle. Like as it's driving away, it's about sitting and watching it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's about to me. It's like releasing judgment of the thoughts as much as you can. So just observing. Oh, I'm thinking this. That's interesting. Okay, thinking this. Okay, where it's not like getting caught up in them. I agree. So yes, I meditated while running. It was a running meditation, and now my meditation is just a small doses throughout the day of focused breath work. But meditation was huge, and I think that was what started the process. Mm-hmm. Finding a way. So for me, the entry point was running, but whatever that meditation process looks like, finding a way to be able to just be, to be with the thoughts. And that was huge and hard, you yeah. know, which is why I started with music running. I, I think my body knew it needed something. I needed movement. I had to just get something out and the running felt like that. It felt like a physical release, but the mindfulness part was like slowly being able to add that into that practice. Um, it was huge and hugely important. So we've gotten up to what, eight years ago now? Ish, yeah. Yeah. So then what happened? Um, so I started realizing through that process of, the first part was just, my brother's dead, right? This sucks. And having to go through the pain, you know, kind of the phases of grief. I, grief, I stayed in denial for a very long time had to go through a lot of just getting out the feelings of anger and disappointment and, you know, all of the stuff the, the, that I would never get these things with him and healing my relationship with my mom was part of that as well, because our relationship changed now that I was her only child that was here and past hurts. You know, when you have an addict for a brother, an addict in the family that creates a lot of problems and tension and so having to do some of that stuff. So there was a lot of healing that had to go on. I had to go through all of that before really I could get to the point of saying, okay, what about now? <laughs> Who am I? And how the hell did I get here? And what do I really want? Because I had to like deal with, it was kind of like, here's this pressing thing in front of you. You've got you to gotta take care of this car wreck before you can even start to like, you've got to get somebody out of the wreckage before you can start to heal them, right? So like, I just had to deal with the immediate wreckage. And then it was like, okay, great. But now what? Now here I am, 37 years old, living with mom, and I don't know what the hell I want with my life. Oh my gosh, that's really depressing, right? Um, And so it was a lot of like trial and error, I guess, of trying. I knew I didn't want what I had before. So it was a lot taking inventory. What do I want? What do I want my life to look like? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? What matters to me? Um, I did Myers-Briggs testing at that point and figured out that. <laughs> were you doing um, this all by yourself or were you working yeah. with a coach at the time? No, I didn't work with a coach and I didn't work with a therapist. I had worked with therapists. I worked with therapists previously in my life many times mm-hmm. um, that have been incredibly powerful. I don't know. For, I, I don't know if it was intuition, I, you know, but it, there was something just said, this is something I need to do. Um, not in the way of like, I'm not willing to ask for help because I, 
did talk to friends and I did talk to people, but in the way of like knowing that the answers had to come from within. And so, which is it, rare because a lot of times I'm like, I want someone else to just fix it. I'm like, what do you want for dinner? Just tell me and I'll eat it. You know, like it's what I've, how I had done things in the past. And I think I knew like I had to be careful because if I didn't find the answers within, I was going to fall back into, well, here's what you should do. And I would go on that path. I would just take someone else's, here's what you should do and make that my new should. Mm -hmm. So I had to find the stuff within. So it was a lot of reading and a lot of meditating, a lot of journaling, a lot of time just spent in thought and in exploration of that thought. Um, and so that was kind of where I headed next is just spending time thinking. It sounds like you're super curious. Well, yes, that is one of my core values, curiosity. And people are going to, you dropped Myers-Briggs. So what's your type? INFJ, which was an interesting thing for me to learn because I always thought I was an E. Mm -hmm. um, I think that might've been because what I thought I should be. And I have been leaning more and more into my I-ness <laughs> um, the older I get and feeling less like bad about the fact that I am an I and that's okay. Um, but I also learned through that, that just a lot about feelings. The biggest piece that came for me out of learning I was an INFJ was the F piece and the fact that it's okay and actually can be my superpower that I have so much feeling <laughs> um, that I feel things so sharply. Whereas I used to think of that as a weakness and I did everything I could to protect against it and I wouldn't let anyone know that and I would go suffer in silence and, now I'm like, you know, the more I've leaned into my F-ness, um, as it were, the more powerful it's become. And it, it is my superpower because now I can show people, I, I have, I, when I get vulnerable, I can help, I help people by having them relate to me. They understand me that I, I find that I have incredible empathy that I didn't know was even really in there that I'm now able to use. So that stuff actually was really important to me. And then I was looking at, you know, the do what you are, I think is what the book is called. It's a book of Myers-Briggs book that tells yeah. you kind of what career. And it's so funny because every career it says, but guess what? Writers there, journalists. So I was like, ah, oh, I've been doing this. But everything else, it was like um, preacher, <laughs> um, therapist, coach, whatever. All of the things that are in there are like, oh, those are all the things I want to do. And they were all about using that superpower that I was had previously been trying to shut down of empathy and compassion and listening and hearing and vulnerability. And now that I've been leaning into that, it's like, oh, this was what it was all along. I was just shutting this thing down because I thought I wasn't allowed to feel that way or to, to use that. This is, so I resonate with this so hugely. I'm an ENFP. And when I was, I worked, I used to be a marine biologist. And I worked for the federal government and I remember learning my Myers-Briggs type and then sitting around and like learning what we were supposed to do and not supposed to do. And I sitting around a, a staff meeting and realizing everybody else likes this stuff. Like when they're doing oh, writing, writing an environmental impact statement, it lights them up to write the governmentese. And I feel like I'm in a cage. And that for me was a huge aha. And I quit my job soon thereafter because they realized it's, it's just not for me. There's nothing wrong with me. This is just the other people, it, they're probably made for this environment. And it's just not for me. Yeah, I had that. I mean, I still do all the time because I still do some writing. I'm moving away from it, but I do have some writing still. 
for other people. I love writing for myself, just don't love writing for other people as much. But when, you know, I used to have a story show up in big magazines that people know, they'd be like, oh my gosh, what a great job, whatever. And I remember thinking like, is it? No, I don't, it's not. And I would tell people, well, it's not as exciting as you think it is. But I realized there are so many people who wanted what I had. They loved that. And like for them, it was a dream job. And I thought, there, I had some guilt around that too of like, who am I to be taking up this thing, this space in the world that somebody else actually wants? And I'm sitting here saying, I don't like this space in the world. That, I, I don't know, that, that felt bad. And I, I don't like that feeling. So it's exciting to be able to find the thing that when you do it, you're like, oh yeah, this is it. This is what I was supposed to be doing all along. And like figuring out the pieces of the other thing that I liked, you mentioned curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I've done a lot of work around core values now too. That was also part of that process. And curiosity is one of them. So there, there are parts about doing my old job that I loved, but I could never figure out what it was. And now I realize it's like, oh yeah, I always, I loved getting to interview people, like talk to people. And I loved being able to do some amount of research around things, but I didn't love the other parts, which my other core value is connection. And I never felt a connection to the content I was creating or to the people I was creating it for. Whereas now when I'm creating content for my own business, it's a very different feeling because I do feel connected to the message and to the people I'm talking to. And it's like, oh, there's that piece that was missing. I feel you. Okay, so after I quit my job for the government, I started writing. For a freelance, I have mostly science writing. I would take scientific papers and make them fun and interesting. Um, and also some other sources. I feel the exact same thing. Totally a curiosity and connection are my two of my top values too. So I had never thought about the lack of connection piece. So thank you so much for bringing that up for me. But yeah, I, I see the curiosity path in my life as, as a biologist. What am I doing? I'm asking questions. And then as a writer, what am I doing? I'm asking questions. As a coach, I'm asking questions. As a podcast host, oh, look at me. I'm asking questions. Right? There's the thread. Mm-hmm. It's just figuring out how do you use that value in the way that feels most resonant. And that was what was missing. It's like, I, I had only tapped into pieces of it, but I was denying these other pieces that were just as important. It's like, like you can't just be in service of one core value and think that all of a sudden everything's going to be happy when this other value that you have, that's just as important to you is being denied. Well, then you're still not going to be in the place you want to be. And if you had gone straight into a coaching business, you wouldn't have had all that trauma in your life. You wouldn't been able to coach from that place. You need well, I couldn't have been a coach back then. I know that. I, who the hell would I have been to help anyone through the, the, any of these things? Because I was beyond stuck and had no idea. I would have been doing like, well, here's what you should do. That's how I would have coached. Well, that's not very effective coaching as anyone who actually coaches knows. That's not at all effective. That's what I would have done because that's what I thought. That's how I thought we should all function is you're supposed to just figure out what you should do and then you do it. And that's you what life that idea came from? I mean, I know it's really prevalent in our society, but do you have a specific memory of learning that you should follow the shoulds? I don't know. It's a great question. Do I remember a time when I was, I mean, gosh, it just feels so deeply rooted that I can't even really place it for you. I mean, I think there's a lot of it that is around, we all have our own traumas and stuff from childhood. And I feel like a lot of that comes from more traumatic childhoods of not feeling seen and heard. And I, to me, it seems like the should path for a lot of smart women that I know, um, it, it started, it took root in a place of, I just want to prove my value or I want to be seen and heard and loved. And it's like, well, if I do all the things that are right, 
then you'll have to see me and love me. Right. And I think that's kind of what it was for me was that like, well, I just need to do, if I keep doing everything right and I'm the good girl, then eventually I'm going to be given the love that I should be getting. Have you retaken Myers-Briggs since you shed the shoulds? Oh yeah. I used to be very, my, my pre, so I had done Myers-Briggs before and it was an E, I feel like it was an ENFP maybe, what you are, maybe. I don't even remember if I was, I can't remember. I think I was an ENFP and the, I just took it last year. I was an INFJ now. Okay. And it was way more like, oh yeah. But I also think it can shift. Some of what it was before I think was who I was at that time. Mm-hmm. But I, or how I was showing up in the world, maybe not who I really was. Or how you were seeing yourself. Yeah, exactly. so many possibilities. Right. Okay. All right, so you're starting, you're waking up, you're mindful, you see, you see the thoughts, you're letting them go. You took the Myers-Briggs, you're doing all this big work on your own. Then what? So I knew, well, within there, I also then um, met my, who is now husband. Well, I didn't, shouldn't say met because we met each other when we were in junior high, but we reconnected um, as adults. And I was in a much different place of being able to express what I actually really wanted out of a relationship. I sort of started there in a lot of ways with like relationship because I was coming out of a relationship for a long time. Um, and knew that that was important to me. So I started there with kind of what I want that to look like, <clears throat> even before I got to the career stuff. And I don't know, manifested it, not sure what that is, but uh, he, he, we reconnected and I was able to be really clear about what I wanted, didn't want, and build that relationship on the right kind of footing from the start, which is not something I was able to do with my, in my previous relationship. Of course, I was 17 when I met my first husband. So like, who's able to start the relationship? Some people do it, but I wasn't at that age. Um, and then we, I, I still was in a place of, I'm not sure what I'm going to do professionally. I know I'm not really happy with what I'm doing, but I don't know what it could look like. And it was so big. It was bigger than any of the other pieces of my life because it was just, I, it was so wrapped up in my identity that I was a writer and had been for so long that it was like, I don't know how to disentangle from this. And even more, I don't know what I do. Like, I, how do you build a new identity? So like starting with relationship was almost easier because it's like, well, I know I want a healthy relationship and I know what that could look like. And okay, here's how I do that. The, the, the professional piece was a lot harder. So within that, I was starting to like explore some other things. I, as I mentioned, I loved running. So I started with thinking, well, maybe I'll do, I'll be a personal trainer. I love to, I know I want to help people. Like that was important to me. I knew whatever it was going to be would have to be something that would be helping people. Cause that was something I felt was missing. Not to say that writing can't help people the way I was doing it. It didn't feel, I didn't get that immediate connection, the piece of connection. I knew that was missing. So I wanted something that would be helping creating connection. I loved running. So I thought maybe that's it. So I was sort of studying for that, um, working on that. In the meantime, we got pregnant and I had a miscarriage. So it was like another kind of setback. But that experience was so good because it helped me see how far I had already come. And there you go. There's that gratitude, I guess. <laughs> but, um, and I was able to get to gratitude much more quickly that time than I was before. I didn't fall into a years long depression. I was able to recognize where I was at. I was able to ask for help, which in the past I wasn't good at doing. I was able to do all the things sort of quote unquote right during that process. And it really helped me see, oh, I have learned a lot of tools and I have, come out of this so much stronger and more prepared and understanding how to deal with 
life setbacks and challenges and all of that. And I really think that was then kind of, and that was in 2014, where I was like, okay, maybe there's something in this. I still wasn't sure what it was. But at that time, because I was thinking about being a personal trainer and I was growing my, and, and I still was trying to do my freelance writing business to make money. I had gotten kind of involved in the online space for business owners because I was also looking for community and connection and that because I love connection. And so then I was like, well, everybody's a business coach. I guess that's what I'll do. I know how to run a business. I've run a business a long time. I'll be a business coach and started doing that stuff. And it still didn't feel right, but there were elements that, again, that I loved. I was like, okay, well, this is getting closer. Um, and so really it's only been in the last couple of years that I was able to finally start to figure out that, oh, all these things, these little pieces that have been showing up kind of appearing saying, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this kind of started coming together of like, okay, coaching. I do love running a business and I like working with other smart, ambitious women. So maybe there's something there with the business owners. I do love the coaching and the helping and like, oh, I've also gained all of these tools and life experiences that I have and the vulnerability and learning how to share all of that resonates with people. Like I can, maybe I can bring this all together in something that helps other women because by the way, what we are usually best at is what we've been through, what we know, helping other people who are trying to stop living a life of shoulds because I'm starting to kind of figure that out. That would be great. And that's kind of where it all slowly just allowing it to happen. I think that was the big important thing too, was I finally was able to stop myself from saying, well, I need to figure this out and I have to get it right. And I got to get the right business because I, I should, I should, I should. I, along the way, and believe me, that impulse came up over and over again, but I kept stopping myself and saying, just try, just do this and allowing myself that freedom to kind of try this and try that and let things kind of appear and see what worked and what was right. And so finally in the last two years, so then once I kind of figured out, you know, I went, got my coaching certification and really started building the business the way I want to with a real focus around mindset, but it was not like it was a quick, simple steps one two and three process which it never is but i know a lot of people when they start coaching when they start coming to a coach it's like well give me the four steps <laughs> you know i wish it was that simple yeah. um so you i felt like you started to say the word trust but it didn't come out all the way oh did i oh i don't know that's interesting um yeah because it sounds like there's a whole in your process of figuring out what you wanted to do professionally it sounds like a whole lot of patience and trust mm -hmm which is hard for me. So that's why it was a challenge. And I had to keep, cause I would have to constantly fight my natural impulse to be like, oh, no, I just need to do what's right. I got to be the good girl here and do what's right. Because it was hard. You know, when you're almost 40 year old woman and people are asking you, what do you do? And you're like, I don't really know. Like that feels icky. It felt awful for me when you're a high achiever, you know, when you're somebody who's always done, I had a, I had a clear career trajectory before that. I knew what it looked like. It was easy to talk about. So it was hard in those moments. I wanted to be like, well, I've got it all figured out. This is what it's going to look like. And I had to just keep fighting those urges and say, no, let it be. And you're right. Trust the process, which is interesting because that's as coaches, we talk about all the time, trust the process. And it's one thing to trust the process like in yourself, but then when people are asking you to, that can be such a trigger of like, oh my God, I don't know. I was this, or you flat out tell them. Do you have a big freelance writing business, which may or may not be true at the time? Yeah. Well, and it's hard because when you, your identity for so many, our identities get wrapped up in who we are, what we do. I mean, there you go. There was quite the slip who we are, what we do. And so when somebody asks you what you do and you don't have a good answer to that, I mean, it starts to 
it can start to chip away at your esteem and get you to that place of like, oh my God, I'm nothing if I don't have this easy to talk about successful, quote unquote successful, this, you know, career that looks great. It is hard, especially at a certain age, but really at any professional age. So I remember when I was in coaching school, I went out for a run. This is like during the actual school. So one of the, I got up early one morning and went for a run and I came back and a guy at the hotel asked me if I was a professional athlete. And I was like, no, I'm a science writer. Okay. True ish. Um, I was a science writer, but realistically I was down to one client at that time. All science writing funding had been cut. I was actually getting more money through personal training and triathlon coaching. And I was in training to, be a certified professional coach. But I clung to that. Yeah, I'm a science writer because that sounds legit. Mm-hmm. That's what I told myself. But I remember even just like by the time I got up to my room, I was like, what? Why did you say that? I know. Isn't that funny? It's identity stuff, which mm-hmm. before we started recording, I was talking about kind of where I'm headed next in my life. This next phase that I'm feeling is all about that piece of like identity and self and ego and wanting to just, I'm ready to let go of all of that, which is hard. That's the, I mean, that becomes like this whole next level of really hard work of saying like, none of it matters. <laughs> That's a hard place to get to because you're right. Like we get so tied up in all of that. And what does it say about me if I don't have a nice, easy answer for this? Or if I don't know what I want to do or what I am doing and like, who cares? Because what is me? That's kind of where I'm at now is like, I'm ready to go to that next level. That's, but that's going to take, to shed yourself of ego takes a long time, I'm sure. So, but I'm excited about that next phase. How are you tackling that question? Well, kind of the same way I did (laughs) when I tackled my first question, which is trying to get quiet, to be in silence, um, to sit with thoughts. I do, I have my daily mindfulness not, or not mindfulness, my daily mindset practice, which for me is when I get in the shower. As soon as I turn on the shower, my brain now is so trained that it's triggered to know, okay, let's go into mindset mode. And I always spend my shower time thinking about what's the story I'm telling myself? um, What are the facts? And what's my choice? That's always been my thing. And so lately, my stories have been what I'm discovering through all of that process of every day doing that mindset check is the stories are so tied up in me self, ego, the lie of all of that. And like, if, so I started to realize like, if I could just get past this, this concept of self and of worrying, like the world revolves around me, which a lot of that is releasing control and getting fully present in just now. Like that's, if I could do that, oh my gosh, everything would be so much better. Like I've, I've been able to come to that place now of saying like, I'm seeing the, the theme here. The theme is me. How do I shed that? So it's a lot of just sitting with it and thinking, but also a lot of learning. I'm doing a lot of taking in of, I'm listening to a lot more like spiritual or metaphysical kind of leaders, which is new for me because I did not grow up religious, don't have a religion, do not think of myself as woo woo or any of that kind of thing. I'm not into crystals or any of that. Not, nothing wrong with anyone who is, it just has not been my, I'm way, I've always been very practical minded. So learning to listen to more of those kinds of thought leaders and thinking about what existence means, which is like heavy, but doing just a lot of thinking around it and talking about it with people. And it's just the same thing. It's kind of trying to tap into my inner voice, my inner knowing, which I think really when you're talking about this concept of self and ego and releasing all of that and getting into tapping into the 
thisness of the world. Like we are here and we are all part of the same thing and we are, we are all the same thing. Like then that's where that inner voice becomes incredibly important because that inner voice is it. That is the, is this, that's what I'm trying to tap into. So yeah, it's been a lot of just listening, thinking the same stuff over and over again that always works. Yeah. And I love, I love your shower routine. Those are brilliant questions. Those are some of my favorite questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's been a huge transformation for me is just, you know, making it a habit, which habits can be hard to create. So I'm, I'm a big fan of like have creating like a habit through a trigger. So for me, right. turning on the shower became the trigger. And so now it's just like, I don't shower every day because I do have a little kid, but most days. So most days I spend that, you know, five, 10, however many minutes I get in there where it's just in thought and really in a proactive kind of way, not, you know, so, and the whole point of the, what's my choice here is how do I shift into proactive, which even when, as I begin to explore these things, these deeper kind of questions about existence and meaning and all of that, it's still about, okay, so then what's my choice? How do, how does that affect how I show up or what do I need to change about the ways I'm showing up? And so like just even listening. So when you say, when you said the thing about identity and like, what is my identity? Like in the past, I would have probably gone to a different place with that in my head. But now my brain, because I'm so focused in this place, my brain's immediately saying like, Ooh, that's ego. That's the self. That's the thing I'm ready to break myself free of. And just hearing it more and being sort of in that mindset. And so having a daily practice that keeps me in that place, because this is what I'm committed to right now. So having a daily practice to sort of remain committed and show my commitment has been really powerful. And thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, sure. I mean, it's what I I share with my clients all the time too. I want to switch tracks. I want to know more about your brother. Mm. Uh, well, my brother was very troubled, as you may guess by anyone who overdosed. He was before, also before he was an yeah. addict. Like, who was he? Well, he um, was an addict pretty early in life, so it's hard. It's a he was sweet and cute. He had a little head of blonde, like he was a little toe head with his little blonde hair, and his eyebrows were so white that when he would get really angry and his face would turn red, he'd have like these two little white streaks across his <laughs> eyes in front of his anger. He came out of the womb troubled. Um, you know, he was always a lot of energy. He was just a very, like, he was a lot. He came out a lot. Um, it's interesting reflecting on it, you know, because you think, how do we end up so different? It definitely has made me think a lot about nature versus nurture and how much of that, because I mean, we didn't have the exact same experience because we were separated by four years. We have two different biological fathers, but we both had trauma. We both had problems. We both had a lot of the same experiences with my mom and other things. And it's like, how do we end up so radically different? And I do think there is a lot to brain chemistry and how we are just come out of the womb wired and not just nurture. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, he loved music and we did a lot of like talking about music. Uh, he had a daughter, so I have an amazing niece that he left a legacy in this world. You know, at the time when he told me and he was 20, I was not thrilled. <laughs> um, but now I'm so thankful that that happened because now we have a, an ongoing legacy for him that lives on beyond him. He actually has two daughters, I guess I should say, because one of them is also, he, one they gave up for adoption, but she's still sort of in our world. So yeah, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> he was a good kid who just, I think kind of got a short shrift um, in the, in the brain chemistry department, which is really unfair, but 
I don't know. I try to think now that that time, because I look at my son now, and now that I have a child, I have a deeper empathy for my mom on what that loss looks like for her. I mean, losing a sibling is, is something. It's real hard. But then I think about my mom losing a child. I can't imagine, but I do imagine because my brain does go there sometimes now that I have a kid. And I do look at him and think, I think that's part of, and this is a, another gift of my brother's death is that's why I'm so now committed to wanting to learn how to move past self and ego and tap into the true here and now and the isness of life and being fully present in just this moment. This is all we have. Because I look at my son and I think if he were to go tomorrow, God forbid, <laughs> whoever forbid, I want to be able to be fully present with him. I want what time we have here to matter. I want it to be about now. I don't, and I don't want to be thinking about the potential of him being taken from me. And I don't want to be thinking about what he did yesterday or what I did yesterday. I want to just be here, be here now. Eckhart Tolle, like that's where I'm at. I just want to. And so that my brother's death, I like to think of it as that gift, like the time we had, some was good, some was bad. The ongoing legacy is the amazing kids he left behind. And this gift, at least to me, and I think my mom too, of saying, now is all that matters. And he has made us be able to live more fully present. And that's a great gift. And I hope in some way that I'm able to then use what I have, you know, the gifts that I have and, and my ability with my coaching to help others let go of should, even if they never get to the place of the fully being in just the moment, just even letting go of shoulds, what a gift that is. And all of that's born out of my brother's death. So I like to think all of that as the, the gift of that. I, I know you asked me who he was. It's hard. You answered perfectly. Okay, good. <laughs> what, what's his name? J J A Y. My son's full name is Jameson. J A Y Mason. Um, after my brother. That's really sweet. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so much about him. Oh yeah, thanks for asking. I don't get to. I don't talk about him a lot, and it's hard because a lot of times when I do, you know, when some when you have an addict in your life, anyone who does knows how hard that is because it changes so much about that relationship and that dynamic. So I don't always talk about the good things. So it is nice to think about the fact that there was a lot of good. Especially and it we sounds like he gave you an immense gift mm -hmm. of this desire to be present. He did. Which might and be I, like the biggest gift we can ever receive. Right. And I hope someday that I will transcend to some level, to some way to be able to thank him for that in whatever that looks like as I continue on this evolutionary path of, of myself, you know, um, myself growth of like whatever that next stage is, whether that's in death or what, where I'm able to express that fully. And maybe that's what this is right now. This is the isness of where I'm able to do that. And somehow his energy is able to receive that. I don't know. Yes. Um, <laughs> Okay, so let's say you've got a billboard. You can put it anywhere you want. What does it say? Wait, wait, you can put it anywhere you want and everyone in the world can read it. So what does it say? Ooh, I feel like I need to really think about it instead of just giving my first instinct. I want to know the first instinct too. Well, the first instinct is stop doing what you think you should mm -hmm. because we've been talking about shoulds, but I think that's only because we've been so focused on that. Um, and then I also think I want to say something like, even though I can't use this because it's probably trademark, but be here now, <laughs> right? Eckhart Tolle, like just be here now. Um, but then ultimately, I think the real message that I, what I care about for women in particular is you are enough. Mm. 
because I, that's, I think the thing that makes me, makes my heart the heaviest is with so many of my clients, you know, or people even before they're ready to work with a coach of that feeling of not being enough. And I know and remember, and still have that feeling come up myself. And I think we all need to hear and know right now, no exception, no caveats, you are enough. Just breathe that in, everyone. That's good. And I feel like that's a perfect place to wrap this up. So, Becky, can you please tell us how people can find you? How can they track you down? How can they work with you? Um, anything else you want to share? Um, they can just go to beckymollencamp.com. If you need the spelling, hopefully it'll be, it'll be pleasant right here. So you'll be able to see it. But yeah, episode. beckymollencamp.com. And that's the same for Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. So you can find me in those places or just go to my website. And um, I thank you so much for this because I think this was a great conversation. And I thought of a few things of my own experience that I hadn't really thought of. Uh, and I love that. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That makes my heart really happy. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, Go to my website, kelseyabbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. Awesome.